Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella, I'm a producer and WFT board member. This podcast is brought to you by writer and actor Aoife Nicardle and producer Kira Gillen. In this episode, Kira sat down with Emmy-nominated Foley artist Quiva Doyle and Foley mixer Jean McGrath. They spoke about their 17 years of collaborating as Ireland's only female Foley artist and mixer team. The interview was recorded in Ardmore Sound. My name is Quiva Doyle and I'm a Foley artist. My name is Jean McGrath and I'm a Foley mixer. We'll start with you Quiva. Can you tell us what does a Foley artist do? So a Foley artist recreates sound for film, TV and animation. And we perform the kind of sound effects like footsteps and kisses and body grabs and swords out of scabbards, those kind of sounds. And often the reason we're used is like computers haven't replaced us yet, thankfully, because that kind of emotive aspect of those sounds needs to be performed by a human to capture that um, emotional delivery, you know. So I record Quiva and I put all the sounds that she creates into the space, the acoustical space. So I mix in a blend of various different mics so that people believe that what she's creating was created on the day of the shoot. So tricking the audience. How long have you guys worked together? I think we both started in about 1996. I'm 98. Yeah, we work really well together because I've worked with other artists as well. And, you know, because the schedules are quite tight, you don't have time to have a dialogue about what you're going to do. How do we approach this? We just instinctively know that this is the way we're going to approach a scene. The really interesting thing about our kind of work is like it's 50 percent what's happening one side of the microphone and 50 percent the acoustic space that Jean's putting that in. So it's a true collaboration. And like for me, like Jean's ears, like Jean hears things that you know, I don't know, like sonically, she's got, I think, a little secret range right above all the humans and dogs, but just Jean, it's the Jean range. And Jean's got that. And she's, but she's also like, you know, it's long hours in a dark room, no windows, and it's intense. You got to belt out the work, you got to get it out. And so you need to have, you know, a sense of humor as well as a, attention to detail. And there's kind of a lot of things at play during the course of our day. And as Jean mentioned there, that not an awful lot of dialogue. There isn't time to, mm, I wonder how we'll approach this, you know, that kind of noodling. There's just instinctively moving, getting it on, recording something that isn't working right, move it on, try something else, yeah. keep it flowing, keep it moving. And uh, with Jean, that's effortless with her. Did that kind of become apparent, like that you were going to have a good working relationship from the beginning or is that something that built over time? I think it developed built. over time, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, because Quiva would have had more experience in the Foley world than I did. I came from an engineering background, so it evolved. Really. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to. It needs time to kind of mature, and you and you kind of know. And like, and you just, I just know my back is covered. Like she's really strong in the session, and she knows what's coming and knows what needs to come. And just to have that energy in the room, somebody's driving it forward, just like you. And it's it's a really shared experience. Like that's brilliant. I wasn't academic in school, so I, I wasn't really enjoying school that much. I enjoyed the crack, but I didn't really get into the academic side of school. And then in about fifth year, a woman came in from the Rathmines DIT and she was studying a course in communications. Didn't know what that was. She came in and she played the opening sequence from a Nicholas Rogue film, Don't Look Now. And we spoke about it, spoke about the craft behind that scene and how you're manipulated by the editing and the sound design and the music and all of it. And I was just like, whoa, cannot believe that's a job 
and I was so intrigued. I mean, it was hook, line and sinker from that. Then I kind of knew then I'd, I'd study film anyway and see how I got on. Did you go to DIT? No, I didn't get enough points to get into DIT, but it didn't stop me. Like I did a PLC in Pierce College for one year. Then that kind of gave me a portfolio to get into Cloche de Dulig. I did two years in Cloche de Dulig and then so kind of cobbled together a three-year diploma and then got on a dart, came out to Bray and went into Ardmore Sound and they were the only place doing post-production in Ireland. Did you know then that you were like, I want to be a Foley artist, That's or was it interested in sound? Let me just get into this and see where we go. Well, the Foley came later because uh, a guy called Andy Malcolm came here, Canadian Foley artist, and uh, he came to Ardmore Sound the late 90s, maybe 99 or something. And we got to see him work. I was doing editorial. That's really solitary on your own in a dark room with a computer. And I wasn't mad keen on that. I was looking through the little projector window and this guy's throwing stuff and he's bumpers of cars and all sorts of stuff around the place. And I just thought, God, that's unbelievable. That that's... And he loved it, you know, he'd been doing it years and he still loved his job. And I was quite intrigued by that aspect to meet somebody who loved their thing. Well, I always felt like I was going to do something musical-based, so I was going to go on and do music performance in Minute, but <laughs> I decided to stay clear of that end. It was just, you know, it was quite pressured. So I decided to go over to London and do music instrument technology because they didn't actually have the course here. But then when I finished there, I worked in a few music studios in London, but it was a very male environment and it was difficult to progress. So I decided to pack up London and come back to Ireland and see what was here. I remember it was actually when you did the live show Brand Upon the Brain in Berlin mm -hmm. and I went over. And I think that kind of tied it all down for me to move into the Foley department. Why do you think sound isn't as popular with women? It's broad, you know, you have your different departments. So you do have quite a number of women who go into the editing side of it. But as well, I think for guys in the industry, there's a lot more career progression and it happens quite fast. Whereas like my experience working in this industry is that it takes a lot longer for women to get to a point where, and I don't know what it is, like I, I, I can't explain it, but I can see why maybe women do pull back on those type of craft jobs, you know, technically minded crafted jobs like because even though it's not intentional, people will constantly question, you know, what you do, your approach, how you approach certain things. Like it's taken us 20 years to stand up and say, sorry, no, this is the way we're doing it. This is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we're going to continue to work. Of course, it evolves and you do have to change your format in some ways. But, um, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's the, I think the career progression is probably a little bit slower for women in the industry than it is for guys. What's your favourite sound? I like footsteps. I like recreating footsteps. I like really getting into the heads of the characters that you're following. And capturing what it is that they're experiencing and going through because it, it translates into how they perform and how they move and the intensity with which they pick up a, a certain object or the intensity of a kiss or a footstep or you know but the footsteps they're snowflakes every single one of them like every single one is different and every single one is original and and then Jean can do such great stuff on the microphones and move those footsteps around and the character's coming right towards camera, turns and runs away and Jean has me and, and does that transition. 
um, really nicely and uses like a multiple mic. So there's just a lot of craft behind a simple footstep. I think I, I enjoy <clears throat> the layering in props. Oh yeah, nice. And you know, if there's otherworldly creatures and breaking, you know, it's been broken down and just interweaving those different sounds to create and design a new sound that sells that creature or that object on screen. I love that type of work. Yeah. I love the footsteps as well. What's been the hardest sound you've ever had to create? The subtle, small detail. That handwriting in yeah. um, <laughs> Coming Jane. Yeah. People's hands so random. No one writes the same way. And you don't know when they're going to do an inflection on a letter. I look at their eyes nearly more than their the hand just to see because sometimes they'll, you know, put a little <laughs> raise a little you know, across the teeth. And you'll go you'll take anything from the rest of the body language to try and read that that hand. Yeah, because you'll always try and get it on the first take. And yeah. that is a very difficult because there's something really unique with the first take. We don't tend to watch things and see what they do. We just tend to play and go for it and record to see what comes out. And, you know, sometimes working that way, you get something really lovely on the track. So um, the handwriting is a difficult one to catch first time off. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> but usually the softer, the real delicate sounds are quite like we're really fortunate, I suppose, that we have the expertise to be able to get detail through because, you know, you're in a mix and there's like so much other stuff going on like you have your music you have your sound effects your atmospheres your production effects so it's just getting that detail through and knowing it's going to play the real soft sounds like a kiss and touch of a hand and the sounds I suppose where you're bringing the audience closer to the screen the intimate sounds that you're able to bring the audience into the story that little bit more they're always quite hard to sell because mm -hmm. it is such a unique movement so you know you can tell when the hand rub isn't the isn't right, right shape. One. Yeah, <laughs> you can. You can totally tell. <laughs> but this is the thing about sound. You know, good sound you don't notice. Yeah, and that's what we strive for. We strive to not let the audience know that this is something we do in the background. Tell me though, just to get into a little bit more detail about what you guys do, like with handwriting, like how do you do it? Is it just writing? Yeah. If it's a quill, I've got lots of feathers. A whole different array of different texture, different brittleness, I suppose. If it's a really nice cross pen or something with quality and weight, I would have that if it's a BIC. You know, so you replicate the implement, first of all, and then also the grade of paper will have an effect. So I have a selection of different grades of paper from vintage to crepe paper to draft paper, anything like this. And then the surface that they're writing on. So if, they're, if the paper is on a piece of wood or on a book, so all of those things have to be in place and then you start dealing with sync. But if you're if you haven't approached it with all the other things in place, it's fully. It, like yeah, poly. it'll never you'll never sell it. And then the audience mightn't know that why oh you didn't they weren't performing that on a book or they were performing that with a Parker, not a cross or anything. They might know that, but they'll know it's wrong and you're out of the story and we've failed, you know, and, and you just want to keep the audience in the room, intimately in the room with the actor so that all the they're being, you know, really affected by what's happening all the more. Yeah, because our hearing, like our listening and hearing is so sophisticated now and the systems people are even installing in their homes. If you hear something and it doesn't sound right, it can 
pull you out of the story and make you question, what just, what was that? Why, why do, what? There's something that was, just wasn't right about that. Yeah. You know, and I suppose you're trying to limit that as much as possible. What is the most kind of a surprising sound that you've created in the sense of it's supposed to be something, but you've created it in a completely different way? Well, it's funny because when we're in the process of doing something, Quiva knows her, her props like musical instruments. She knows what sounds they're going to produce. She's worked with them for a very long time. But there could be a prop that creates an, a sound while we're in record and it might not necessarily be the sound that we're going for. Like we might just even be just getting ready to go for a take and she might get this lovely little sound from the prop and stay in record and we'll record it and it might be for something completely different that we were thinking, trying to find a sound for earlier on in the reel. And then we'll go back and we'll see if that sound fits. And usually it does. It works out really nice. I suppose with any creative process, to have kind of an openness around it so that you're not really rigid in, was that the right performance? Was that the right sound? Was that just to kind of loosen that grip a little? Because it is a creative process. So, you know, you can't just box it off and say, like, for example, if you thought one prop was going to give a lovely little squeak, and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's also really important as well that you need to know when to pull back on detail or layering and and maybe step away from it if it's because, you know, like I say, the schedules are so tight and we wouldn't have as much time to experiment with it. So sometimes I'd say it's important as well to pull back and to know, OK, that's enough. Yeah. It's locked now. This is it. I believe it. Let's yeah. not throw anything more at it. You know, it can get muddy, yeah. like a painting with too many brush strokes or something. You've over analyzed, over worked it. Mm. You get to that curve, and then you just see there, yeah, yeah. You're going down. Leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Step away from the roller skate. <laughs> Do you find that when you're in shops or markets or something that you're always looking out for things going oh that could be interesting for that kind of sound? It's funny because usually the older vintage props make the most interesting sounds the ones that are weathered and have been used quite a bit yeah like when you go into a shop everything is so new and like even I was looking for chains last week and I was up in Woody's and uh, I was just like oh god no not that one and I was there in the shop rattling them going oh god no not that one oh god no not that one oh god no not that one. <laughs> and I actually went up because they just sounded horribly new oh, yeah. you know Brilliant. and to translate on a mic as well it's and I went up to the one of the lads and I said you don't have any old rusty chains around the shop and he's like what do you want to know just a rusty old chain you wouldn't have one no <laughs> no sorry we don't so it is I suppose going in and looking mm. at new things it's it can be a little bit redundant, can't it? Yeah, often. And the shoes as well. Like, I don't really buy new shoes to perform Foley because they have to be worn in, lived in, sweated and <laughs> broken down so that you can manipulate the sound, you know, can manipulate where the weight's being displaced and everything. So they're, you know, they're pretty offensive, some of them. Yeah, and they but, don't bend either. It's just like one sound yeah, on the foot. the new shoe doesn't bend. But I do, like, I'd absolutely love 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 and if I'm on holiday and I'm in another country like I definitely work it in my husband's very patient I've actually corrupted him and he he loves it too now so it's nice that we have a little ramble around the second hand stores the you know antique stores it's, it's great it's fun if you look at your credit list I mean you guys have worked on some really impressive films and to say that it's taken you 
a long time to get that kind of where you're able to say, no, this is how we do it and we do it well, you mm-hmm. know. It just shows that it is. Um, well, I think as well, decision making is a really big part in it, you know, to make a choice, lock it in and that's it. And not kind of go, well, maybe we should give them three different versions just mm-hmm. in case. You know that you have the confidence to be able to say, right, I'm making a decision and this is what we're going with, you know, and I don't think we've ever have had anything come back with the decisions that we've made. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the really experienced supervisors and the teams that we pass our work off to are more than likely happier to have less of the, that they don't have to make those decisions, you know, that they don't have as much choice to work off because they don't have the time either. So yeah. that's part of the kind of remit, you know, you're hired to make those choices. That's it. We give one option, you know, we've worked through all those the kind of variables through the years so we can kind of look at a, at a sequence and kind of go, you know what, this is what this scene needs here and this is what it needs there to tell the story and lift it up and then we're going to move on. But like they say, you can't please all the people all the exactly. time. Exactly. And striving for that high standard of work, you know, some clients absolutely will thank you and love you for that. And then there will be other others mm. who won't. Yeah. Who that's a bit of a pain in the ass. Driving yeah. it that hard, giving it that much detail, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. So, you know, but that's the nature of it. You know, you have to just keep rolling with it. And, you know, the lads, the people who aren't into it, aren't into it. You're not going to. We usually find that... Um, people who create the best work are the ones that leave you to do your job and they don't they trust you and they say you know what you're doing you do this for a living this is what you do and I'm not going to overstep and try and tell you what to do or I'm not going to tell you what props to use or I'm not going to tell you what surfaces to use where they leave those you know that line where they're confident that you're going to produce what they want hence the reason they've come to you in the first place now, the difficult situations are when you get um, other teams or people in general who want more of an input for some reason in what you do. And that's where a lot of confusion and conflict can come into place. But essentially, the best communication happens before and you meet up. And if a lot of the time, our clients aren't even in Ireland. So we're Skyping. So it's all done on Skype. But we've learned that we don't we don't do phone calls anymore. Skyping is so much better to see the person's face. They get to see your, you know, and, you, and, and a lot of it is, as we all know, communicated through how you're saying a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have those conversations. We we talk about any kind of moods or, or subplots or any of that kind of thing or, you know, a particular aspect of a character that they want to bring up or reduce. And we know what kind of approach that the composer is taking. So we're not working in the same kind of frequency range as the music so that it's all muddy and swallowed and all in the, so that we ride above it so that we can kind of weave into the soundtrack. It's really important to have those conversations. And luckily, we work with a lot of people who are open to that and do that. And mm-hmm. you hear that. You hear it in the in the cinema. And how has the landscape changed since when you joined? I mean, obviously, there's more post-production houses now in Ireland. What else do you feel has changed since you both have been working here? The scheduling has changed dramatically. We used to get 10 to 15 days, sometimes 20 on a feature. And um, that just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> we just get mm. five, five days for mm. a low budget, 10 days for the higher budget. With one Foley artist back in the day, there, wouldn't, there would have been two. 
and now there's just the one. So it's been squeezed in that sense. When we used to record Foley, it was done on different technology. So the, the technology has changed the workflow quite a bit. One time we used to have to put up reels of picture, reels of mag, you know, they'd only record 20 minutes and then you take them off and you flip it up and you go again. And it used to take a little bit of time. So there was always that time given to that process. Whereas now it's all digital, you know, you're on your workstation and you just open up reels, just takes two minutes. Whereas one time it could have taken about 20, 20 minutes to do. So there's that aspect since we started. Mm -hmm. And then I suppose the other, the other aspect is it depends on the project. You know, if they feel that Foley is going to play a part in this soundtrack and it's going to be an important part, they will give you the time to do it. If it's just a case that they want to fill out foreign versions and they're quite happy with maybe 80% of their production, um, even though we'll cover everything and chances are they will play everything, you know. Um, I think that uh, they tend to see that they don't need to give as much time as they used to give. But, you know, we've evolved, we've changed our format to try and meet those schedules, to try and meet those, you know, the criteria that they need at the end to get their film distributed. Um, Budget-wise, I think everywhere has been squeezed, you know, it's not just the sound department. And there used to be two people doing Jean's job as well. So one person would, would, would have a big sheet of paper and would physically, with pencil, write in on what track, you know, footsteps, you know, John's footsteps here, track one, uh, hand on bonnet, and they would write that in on where it would, the timeline and where it would happen, what track it was on. So that was a physical process that somebody had to do the track lay, whereas now Jean records and track lays. And then there'll be two people doing my thing and then there's and so. Mm. So a team of four is down to two, a 10 day shoot's down to five. Um, so it's like it's a ma massive. Mm. Do you worry that ever you know, technology will advance that you guys might be made obsolete? We always get we always get that kind of question asked. And yeah, like you can get stuff from a library, you know, you can get a cup down, you can get footsteps. But at the end of the day, like you're trying to sell something that was created on the day of a shoot and there's no human being moves in the same way or operates in the same way. It's that the little detail around the sound, I think, that you can't get from a computer library or a sound effects library. Even the, the smallest thing, like a, a, a china cup down on a saucer, like it totally depends what's after happening to that person, the whole run up in the scene on how they're going to put that down. Like if someone just mm. insulted their family name and do you know, there'd be a, a cup down that would have a certain inflection or there'd be, you know, a little lady and, you know, all of that stuff. So like absolutely what's all happening in the heart of the character has an inflection on, on, on everything. And thankfully, there's no computer out there. Yeah, but even we worked with an editor there recently who cut in, I'd say he cut in a little bit of Foley, but he still wanted us to go and make it a little bit more flowery around the edges where it looked like it was being performed by a human being. You know, that it was being performed by, you know, that yeah. actual person doing that. While he had the punctuation, you know, he missing. still needed the the movement around it to sell it. Because even when we're working, like a kiss as well, a kiss is a really unique sound. And like 
a mother's kiss on a little child's forehead or a passionate kiss. They're, they're just so worlds apart. And, you know, and even knowing that and, you know, and, and recreating the kiss. And there's just something, it just doesn't bond with the picture. The, the, the lip lifted a little sooner or a little smoochier and, and we'd go again and we'd mm-hmm. go again. And we just go until you know it's right. And then it's just that kiss is exactly what should be happening in that moment. But they're they're the a real snowflake, the kisses. Yeah. Um, like it can take us a little while to get those. Yeah. So no, computers are not replacing you with <laughs> <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> For people, for newbies that are looking to get into the industry, what advice would you give them? Get as much experience as you can. It's still very much the same advice I was given back in the day. You know, you come out of college and it's such a broad education that you would have had. Like, it wouldn't have been very focused on one particular department in an industry. So, like, when we came in, we worked in every department. And then it was only when we had the chance to focus on what we wanted to do that we were able to kind of go in and, you know, shadow the people in in that department. I might say something that I've heard you say before, but I'm going to pinch it as my own. Go for it. Being able to say, like, when you don't know a thing is, like, really key. And um, I'm all in celebration of the new confident youth. Like, it's great. But it's also really important, if you don't know a thing, it's great to say you don't know it, because then someone will tell you how to do it. And then you will know it. I heard Jean mentioning that before, that in her early career, she would always say, no, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then people were really open and, and shared so much knowledge and she just had the years going and clocking it all and, and storing it all and and has led Jean to be just have such a wide kind of knowledge of the industry that's so valuable. And um, so for what it's worth, like, say you don't know if you don't know. Ten years, where do you see yourselves? While Foley is still very much performed the same way it was performed when it first started out, I'd love to see it getting more of a recognition in the sound design aspect of film because I think there definitely is room there to be able to do a lot more in this space and with the Foley artist in that aspect of it. You know, just, I suppose, to bring more sound design onto the stage as well as the Foley I think would be nice. And then I've just opened my own Foley stage. So we're opening in September this year. So like a few weeks time we're open. And it's a dedicated Foley stage and it's something I've been wanting to do for an awful long time and just felt really right now to do that. So I'm hoping to get a lot of co-produced stuff from abroad that maybe shoots abroad and will post here and bring more post-production into Ireland whilst continuing to do the Indigenous work as well. But to kind of like broaden our reach, you know, um, like I think there's a there's a real um, awareness to to kind of refine Foley and um, and there's there's an increased appreciation of soundtracks and, and where it can get you and your over, the overall effect of a film. Um, and um, so the fact that we've 20 years in it, people are looking for that kind of experience um, and looking for the kind of soundtracks that we can produce. So, yeah. Um, Looking forward to exploring that. I'm sorry, but it's true. I've made my decision, and I'm sorry, but it's you. Our thanks to Kiva and Jean for giving us some wonderful insights into the world of Foley. 
Music for this episode was by singer-songwriter and cellist Alana Henderson and her new single, Anyone Who's Not You, is available on Bandcamp. To support the work we do, join Women in Film and Television Ireland at wft.ie or you can donate the cost of a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash women in film and television Ireland. This could go, they say I should know better than to be surprised Why expect clearer skies than you're accustomed to getting But I love this for